Welcome to another Film Nerds Roundtable podcast. I'm your host, Matt Scalisi, and uh, today we're going to be talking about Woody Allen's 39th theatrical feature film, Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Uh, joining us for this podcast will be Ben Flanagan and his brother, Graham Flanagan, who's up in New York. Welcome, guys. Hi. Okay, so... Um, we're gonna we're gonna devote the uh, rest of this entire podcast to the discussion of uh, of Vicky Cristina Barcelona. It's always a major event, at least for the filmnerds.com dot uh, com analysts here. When uh, Woody Allen puts out a new feature, and uh, this latest installment uh, follows two young women, Vicky and Cristina, who uh, travel to Spain. They're both Americans. They're traveling to Spain. They stay with uh, a uh, an older relative who is played by uh, Patricia Clarkson, and basically they uh, they meet and fall in love with a a Spanish artist named Juan Antonio, and uh, basically both of their their interactions with him sort of lead them to reexamine their views on on love and relationships, both of which are very different. So let's start this off uh, by just saying, you know, I, this is this is obviously a very different experience for Woody Allen having a, a film that that's completely set in Spain and uh you know it, it's it's very different visually obviously and 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 in a number of other ways for for Allen but content wise guys I, I I feel like this is probably the closest we've seen to some of Allen's 80s films just just in terms of the content and and you know, kind of the way the characters are interacting. What do you guys both think of that? Is this kind of a throwback for for Woody Allen to the Hannah and her sisters type uh, relationship dramas? And I'll start off with you, Graham. Uh yeah, uh, it's it's a lot. You know, it's a lot lighter than his uh, last couple of movies, especially um, especially Scoop, which is about a serial killer. Match Point, which is about uh, what a, what does it turn into a triple murder? Cassandra's Dream, multiple murders so <laughs> even though there is a there is a, uh, a there is a you know a, a contingent of danger here and like the risk of death with the whole Maria Elena character and her you know wielding her gun it's it's a lot lighter and it's more just about people and how they react to other people um, and it's a beautiful location and I think that it reminds me a lot of, of uh, Midsummer Night Sex Comedy hmm Ben, what what are your thoughts just in terms of what what is this closest to uh, in Allen's you know filmography? Um, honestly, I, you know, I, I didn't think about the nineteen eighties movies as much when I saw this movie because I think it's pretty far and away uh, much different than anything he's ever done before in a lot of different ways, both thematically and probably especially visually and stylistically. Um, I think honestly, it's closer to. His movie back in what two thousand four, two thousand five, Melinda and Melinda. Although I think it's uh, quite an improvement over it. I think it's uh, kind of a a better version <clears throat> version of that movie that kind of um, explores the indecision, you know, of the female mind or of specific female minds. In this case, Vicky and Christina. 
So, uh, I, you know, I wouldn't, I would not revert back to, or you know, refer back to those older movies uh, just for so many different reasons and his change, his changes as a filmmaker that he's made this time. Um, you know, I think one of the things that this movie, when I, when I, when I got to thinking about, you know, how I felt like. It's it, the way that it examines the characters and way that it, the way that it talks about sort of a a bigger, you know, a big picture issue like your perspective on love or relationships. Um, you know, it kind of gets me thinking about <clears throat> the way Alan has been writing his last few films and the way that he he wrote when he when he used to write about big picture relationship issues. And um, you know, I think it's safe to say the dialogue is a lot is a lot more. Uh, you know, some people would call it pedestrian. It's 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 certainly more realistic. It's it's less of that uh, really super cerebral uh, literary type dialogue that Alan used to write. Um, do do you guys like Alan's? You know, let's say his last decade of writing from a dialogue standpoint. Do do you like where he's moving, or is it is it a little bit of a regression? Well, uh, I think that it's still solid. It's not. I wouldn't call it a regression it's not um maybe maybe you could argue that he's not you know putting forth as much of an effort as he was in the 80s especially you definitely don't get literary those, you don't get those classic one-liners as much really anymore but you, you know some people would say that's a good thing some people would say it makes his his dialogue more realistic uh what do you think ben uh, I think that he's strong in spurts and like you said he's a bit pedestrian in others um I think that the best example of you know, some pedestrian dialogue here in the movie is that initial encounter between Juan Antonio and the two girls at the restaurant. I think that it was a fun scene, but a lot of what Javier Bardem was saying uh, just seemed kind of generic uh, Woody Allen speak to me from, you know, one character pursuing another character. And I think that uh, in the past few movies that he's made, I think, like I said, he's been strong in spurts. Take the, the initial encounter between Jonathan Reese Myers and Scarlett Johansson at the ping pong table. That's some of the best dialogue. Woody Allen's ever written, I think. But um, I think you get a minute of dialogue, which might uh, be because more of the delivery than the actual writing itself, but uh, also really terrific, kind of endearing dialogue. This from well, the the scene we were talking about when uh, Don, when Juan Antonio tries to seduce the women at the restaurant. You know, it, uh, if, you, if it recalls any other Woody Allen scene, it might have to be the beginning of Midsummer Night's Sex Comedy when Tony Roberts' character <laughs> Maxwell. Uh, basically, uh, propositions Dulce in his doctor's office to come with him. He's like, "Well, we'll, we'll drink beer, we'll sun, you know." <laughs> and it's, you know and we'll, it, but he really means we'll make, we'll get it on, and that's what it's all about. And it just that that it recalled that for me. And then also, there are montage scenes of people just enjoying life in Barcelona. Well, Graham, and that's what makes me think of it as like Woody Allen. Always, whenever you read about Midsummer Night Sex Comedy, you refer to it as a dessert, and I can get that vibe. I got that vibe in Vicky Christine in Barcelona, which was for me a lot about just the overall experience. Yeah, Graham, you know, uh, I'm sorry, Matt. Let, let me just jump in real yeah, fast. Uh, when, like you said, it, you refer back to Tony Roberts delivering that kind of dialogue, which could you know, reflect what Javier Bardem's doing, and I think it worked so much better then because you didn't have a character that was kind of speaking in broken English through this Woody Allen dialogue. And, you know, where Javier Bardem is strongest to me is when he's speaking Spanish and interacting with Spanish characters. 
And uh, you uh, know, I found, I found the dialogue fine, and he delivered it. You know, it was a great character. Yeah, I agree. I agree, he's a great character, but I think some of the dialogue is just sort of stammered through in this movie. Graham, I, mm. I, I thought it was interesting what you what you just mentioned when we were talking about, you know, how Midsummer Night Sex Comedy was a, was sort of a dessert movie, and it was just people enjoying life. You definitely can can sort of count on one hand the number of Woody Allen movies where it's just about a fun time that the people have and they, they really come away pretty much the same as when they entered and it's just kind of a fun experience for everyone. Most most of the Woody Allen plots are not usually, you know, <laughs> are, are not, not usually all the characters walk away from it uh, fine in the end. They usually, there's some, there's at least some bit of tragedy or pain or heartache and this movie really... You know, I guess they go through some things, but in the end, it's it seems like everybody's gonna sort of walk away from it as well. That was a that was a fun summer, you know. Yeah, that's it. It's like a postcard. It's a journal entry, right? <laughs> well, yeah, they kind of end up where they left, where they started, right? You know? they, they didn't really uh, progress, you know, within their own lives. And I think that honestly, uh, if there's any flaw within the movie, other than you know, some of the, you know, maybe performance performances or little bits of dialogue. I think that, you know, you don't really get the closure that some of these characters might deserve, but you just, you do spend a summer with them. It's like leaving summer camp. You know, that that's where, you know, it kind of ends there and you don't really go what back to it. performances other than well, uh, one Antonio we'll, did you have a problem with? We'll get, I didn't, I didn't uh, okay. we'll get into the performances in a, in, a, in another minute because I, I want to go through each of those. But, but uh, I, I do, I do think that, you know, Part of this closure that you're talking about, Ben, you know, we kind of we do get a little bit of an epilogue, a tiny little wrap up from this narrator, and, and that that reminds me, what do, you know, I want to ask you guys because I think that's kind of a rare device for Woody Allen to use. He, uh, I've read an interview where he was asked about it, and he he said he always feels like there's a there's sort of a, a narrator in place in the story, whether or not it's it's you know a character in the story or just sort of everything's uh, he feels like is always told from the perspective of an outsider, but. I thought it was a, it was a little bit jarring at, at times. This narrator and it, it was a little bit strange. I, I feel like it was coming close to taking me out of the story. Did you guys feel that way? I was excited by this the use of this device. If I can recall, I mean, he's used narrators in his movies before, but they've always usually been a character that's in the story or right. some character outside the story, like Melinda Melinda or Broadway Danny Rose. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I liked it a lot, and it made it feel like a little novella in, written in the third person. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, if I recall, was there a narrator in Husbands and Wives? I think the filmmaker. You know, it was supposed to be like a serial yeah. documentary. I don't. I don't know if the filmmaker narrated it at times or not. Well, it's. I think this is probably the closest thing uh, to where you have, like Graham said, an outside source. Kind of uh, uh, leading us leading us through the stories of these people, but uh, no, I did like it. I liked it the same way. I kind of liked uh, the way uh, Sweet and Low Down was narrated by the different historians, mm-hmm. um, and plus the writing in the third person writing, I thought was terrific, and it did feel like I was reading uh, Vicky Cristina Barcelona the novel, you know, as I was watching it, and I thought it was interesting. Yeah, you know, at times it kind of felt like the narrator was in a bit of a tin can. That might have had to do with the uh, audio in the movie theater. But uh, and it was distracting, but the writing was so good that I didn't seem to mind. Did it sound all right to you, Graham? Uh, the quality of the audio, right? Yeah, because I, I I was in the same yeah. theater as Ben. It, we we had kind of a crappy sound system, I think. Oh yeah, it was THX ILM uh, <laughs> sound, the totally digital IMAX. 
<laughs> Woody Allen in IMAX. That's the next experience to have. <laughs> okay, well, let's let's get into the performances because I know we just touched on that. Um, and I want to start with Penelope Cruz for sure because that's the performance that's gotten the most buzz. I've even read, you know, I've even read her mentioned as a as a potential uh, early candidate for for best supporting actress. Uh, which I think she has been nominated before, but that would certainly be sort of a breakthrough for her to to get that kind of recognition. Um, I loved it. I thought I thought uh, her scenes in the movie uh, took everything up to a new level when she when she enters. You know, it, it reminded me of Orson Welles used to used to tell some story about how he was in a play uh, where they basically were mentioning his character's name for the entire play, and he shows up at the very end, and everybody thought. He was so fantastic just because of all the hype the other characters gave him. And that's a little bit what happens here. You know, we, we hear this constant talk about how amazing Maria Elena is. And, you know, it, it hypes it up to us so that, you know, she doesn't really even have to say a word. The moment she shows up on screen, we're a little bit on edge and, and in awe. But but that said, I think she does live up to all the hype that, that the story builds up for her. And I, I feel like it's maybe one of the best female performances uh, that I can think of in a Woody Allen film, it certainly would be in the top five. Well, uh, I really enjoy the performance too, and it made me think of you know whether or not she deserved to be, or it made me think whether or not she was playing at the level of these other dynamic supporting actresses in Woody Allen movies like Diane Weist and Hannah and her sisters in Bullets Over Broadway, Jennifer Tilly in Bullets Over Broadway, Judy Davis in Husbands and Wives, Angela, Angelica Houston in Crimes and Misdemeanors, and maybe even Geraldine Page in Interiors, and I think that she does fall on that list. Uh, like you said, it's kind of a star's role, kind of like uh, I think what you're referring to to an extent is kind of like Harry Lyme in The Third Man, sure. you know, where you do hear about this character uh, over and over and over, and she delivers. I think that she's she's that fiery, she's that dynamic, and uh, Penelope Cruz, as, we, as we've seen, uh, you know, maybe more comfortable in a Spanish-speaking environment. And uh, is able to really show off the acting chops she obviously has. And uh, Woody Allen, uh, you know, at times I thought this character was a bit gypped and deserved a little bit more screen time. But uh, maybe we got just the right amount uh, or just the right dose of her character, which I thought was just uh, terrific. I think it would have been cool had they pulled like a, a seven, and uh, you know, had <laughs> what if they what if Penelope Cruz wasn't in any of the media for this, you know, because. Kind of reminds me of that how they build up John Doe, and it turns out to be a well-known actor, Kevin Spacey. Nowhere as big of a star as Penelope Cruz is, like in the media, you know, in the pop culture uh, world. But uh, I, I saw Volver in its initial run and, and knew, and I felt like Penelope Cruz deserved Best Actress that year. I mean, in a, like a close tie with uh, Helen Mirren for The Queen. But... Uh, I knew she was the real thing then, that, and that was the first time I'd ever seen that. And here, it's just it's another great. Just that she, there's a lot of potential for her in the hands of a great director, and I think that she right now has a very solid chance of winning because the Academy loves to nominate uh, uh, actresses in Woody Allen movies for best supporting uh, actress. Boy, she really she really owns the Spanish language. I mean, it's it's amazing. I've I've seen so many movies uh, with Penelope Cruz, and you know maybe some of it's just the stuff that she's been cast in, but. Uh, I, I really feel like the, some of the English dialogue you hear her say sometimes, it just doesn't, just doesn't really sound, it, it makes it sound silly. Uh, and, and when you see her perform in Spanish, it's like, it's like, where did this actress come from? It, it really is amazing how much better she seems to act when she's speaking Spanish than, 
Uh, although I, you know, I think she does fine when she speaks English in this movie as well. But you know, like I said, maybe some of it's the quality of the writing. And and so let's let's next talk about Rebecca Hall and Scarlett Johansson, who are I guess the leads in the film. Um, Scarlett Johansson, I think this is this is uh, you know it's not as fun a, or dynamic a role as she gets in Matchpoint, but I think she does really well here. It's an it's an interesting character. Uh, I think both, you know, everybody talks about Rebecca Hall as really the Woody Allen character in this film, but I feel like there's a lot of him in Scarlett Johansson's character as well. You know, they're both sort of, uh, they're both sort of foolishly intellectual. I think, I think, I think Allen is sort of making fun of how secure they both are in their ideas of the world and how, you know, how sure they are of their, of themselves and, and the lifestyles that they've chosen, um, and I, I found them both really, really watchable. Rebecca Hall, uh, I, I think was was a surprising discovery here. I think, I think she's got a lot of potential as a leading woman. What do you guys think? Good. Oh man, I mean, I, yeah, honestly, I, I, I didn't really see a Woody Allen character in this movie. I think he, he created uh, all new uh, faces and original characters. I think if uh, if he was one of the characters, I would hope that it would be Juan Antonio, somebody who kind of easily. Um, coerces beautiful women into sexual escapades and vacations with them. And, uh, that, that seems like uh, Woody Allen's alley. Uh, but honestly, uh, Rebecca Hall was good. I did like her a lot. I liked her a lot in The Prestige, uh, where she played Christian Bale's wife. I think she's talented, and she um, made a good fit with Woody Allen. Now, with Scarlett Johansson, uh, you know, now our collaborations with Woody Allen, I, I don't think she fits. I, they're, they're not a perfect match. They're not the perfect match they and others seem to think they are. I think her delivery of his dialogue feels awfully rehearsed and stilted sometimes. She kind of stammers through it like, you know, the Spanish people uh, stammer through English and reads it off like, you know, quote, someone in a Woody Allen movie is supposed to. You know what I mean? And here she certainly looks beautiful and pulls off that kind of naivety I think Woody's going for with Christina character. Sometimes her delivery just seems a bit forced. You know, sometimes I wonder now that uh, what match point would have been like you know, with a far more talented Kate Winslet in her place, but I do still think that's a great movie. But honestly, I just I don't think Scarlett Johansson uh, belongs in this universe anymore. Graham, what do you what do you think about the the Scarlett Johansson connection with Woody Allen? I mean, obviously he's he's had some very very productive relationships with uh, leading actresses before. It is I mean, I don't think anybody would argue that Scarlett Johansson is on the level of. Mia Farrow or Diane Keaton, but uh, you know, do you think that do you think that it works for him? Do you think that their collaboration is successful? Well, yeah, I mean, listen, I mean, he's made two, three movies with her. Two of them are great, and one of them is actually very good. Okay, so you can't. I think that it's working. I mean, look, she's th- there. Those these three movies that she's been in, they're three for three. Would you not agree, Ben? Yeah, I would agree, but one, I wonder. She's at the- a part of all three of them. So she's not exactly ruining the experience. I think that she's been in three good movies, and people need to get cut her some slack in this movie. If anybody's to blame for Scarlett Johansson, I agree. She's the least compelling of the three uh, female leads. Uh, but I think if you're going to blame anybody, don't blame her. Blame Woody Allen. I mean, let's look at the three characters she's played in her, the three movies. All easy sluts, <laughs> for lack of a better term. Very easy, promiscuous women, all three of them. So it's. I mean, I think Woody Allen is writing kind of. You know, if, if it, I'm not going to say shallow because I think that all the characters are interesting. Well, they're all smart right, characters. But you know, probably not so much in Match Point as the other two. But but they're all. I don't think there are any of them are smart. They're not. No, I don't think uh, <laughs> they're not. 
the Scoop girl gets into trouble. She doesn't believe Woody Allen's character, who tries to warn her, uh, and with present he presents pure logic to her as to why Hugh Jackman is the killer. In Match Point, obviously, she's irrational and uh, insecure and crazy. And then in this one, she she immediately goes to bed with a uh, is all about going to bed and getting on a plane with a stranger. You know, so Woody Allen is not writing uh, exactly respectable parts for her. She's a sex pod in all three of his movies, and that's I, the way he feels. He's I, infatuated, obviously. Yeah, I think it's a. I think what he's you know just like he's sort of created you know, they were all different all the all the characters he's written, but they they sort of all hit the same chord uh, with with Mia Farrow and with Diane Keaton too, and I think he's sort of found this niche for Scarlett Johansson, which is. Uh, She's she's like you said she's a slut but she's kind of the slut that hangs out with the intellectuals you know so she can she can hang with with uh, the other Woody Allen characters but she's definitely the slut of the group and she's yeah but <laughs> yeah but would those intellectuals be hanging out with her for any other reason than that she's easy though Matt no but I think that's I think that's the character that he's going for I think it's the I think it's the girl that the intellectuals let hang around. Because, because of what she looks like and how easy she is. But, Do you, you think know, that reflects what Woody Allen's doing by casting her in these movies? Do you think that his libido is clouding his judgment in terms think, of how he casts these movies? I because, think, like I said, Grandma, you know, I, I do blame Woody Allen. I don't think, like I said, I don't think they're the match that he seems to think that they are. Because I mean, he cast her, and honestly, I thought she was the weakest link in that movie. Uh, she's the catalyst for that movie, though, and it, and that she. That movie, everything depends on that character. Yeah, but you not. Know? Yeah, but not on Scarlett Johansson though, on the character. But I mean, I the 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 role might have deserved a better. Performance. Are you saying it's her acting? Is that the problem? Or yes. What? Yes. I agree. That's what I've I, been I think that she's. I think that she's a subpar actress in terms of of the rest of the acting that we see in Woody Allen films, and I I do think that I do think that uh, the persona that she's created for herself on screen is. Is an interesting one. It's not. It's not unwatchable, you know. But I don't think the the quality of her acting. It doesn't have the depth uh, that the people around her do. I mean, you look at Jonathan Reese Meyer's performance in, in Match Point, and you know, there's just so much. There's so much to it. It's so impressive. And Scarlett Johansson has her role in there, and she she has a persona that she developed. But it it doesn't have anywhere near the the depth that some of the other acting around her has. What's good? Some of those actors get it, you know. Like it, it almost seems like she feels the need to uh, go through some kind of rigorous tutorial with Woody Allen movies and watch how Mia Farrow acts or how Diane Keaton acts. And Jonathan Myers, he seems natural. John Cusack seemed natural. These people who aren't trying to portray Woody Allen and you know and act like the neurotic that he's kind of painted throughout his filmography, they just kind of ease themselves into roles that they create as actors. The, 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 the freedom that Woody Allen gives his actors, it, it, you really kind of, uh, you really kind of notice how well they use it. You know whether they're kind of mimicking an Allen character that you've seen before or creating something totally new. And I think Johansson is reverting back to different characters we've already seen. I think she. I think that the writing is the issue, not the acting. I think that uh, he is he is happy with her acting that way. Just as he's happy with Jonathan Rhys Myers' acting, and he's gone back to her for three movies and, and 
invested in her to make a franchise. He is happy with the way she's acting. I, I would say that it's it's the writing that, that is to blame if you have a problem with her. And I don't think it was bad judgment to cast her. Well, look, I think that she's a great actress. I, I really do because I, I love her work in The Horse Whisperer and I love her work in Lost in Translation and some of the other movies. But with this material, I just don't think she really fits. That's all. Well, let's let's uh, let's touch on one more performance really quick. I just I just think Patricia Clarkson deserves a mention. Uh, it's certainly an underrated performance. I didn't even know she was in the movie uh, when I went to see it, and I think I think it's a, a really interesting side character to throw in there because it's it's obviously um, you know it's obviously meant to be sort of a, a point of reflection for Rebecca Hall's character as you know something that she can look at and say. Is this how I want to end up? You know, during the point of the film in which she's sort of examining her philosophy on on love and how she wants to live her life, she can look at Patricia Clarkson and say, "You know, is this is this how I'm going to end up? And is that what I want?" And I think Patricia Clarkson uh, really brings something to it that I, that maybe it wouldn't have had otherwise. It might have just been uh, kind of a you know a little a character that's in a couple of scenes that are worthwhile, and then you kind of move on from it, but. I think she, I think you know, as usual, I, I would say the same thing about her role in All the Real Girls, which I saw not that long ago. Which is, you know, she doesn't get a lot of screen time, but she makes an impression and she creates uh, a very well-rounded and well-defined character that that feels like it has a lot of history to it. Yeah, man, I, you know, I would agree that uh, an actress of her caliber um, made the most of what little screen time she had. Uh, um, you know, a lot of actors that Woody. Uh, tends to cast in his movies that have very small roles. They don't make anything out of it, and they're just kind of reading uh, lines that Woody has written. And they're, they're, like you said before, Graham, about Scarlett Johansson, it's really more Woody Allen's fault than anybody's. I mean, if you go back and watch Melinda and Melinda, d- does anybody even remember that Steve Carell is in that movie? Right. <laughs> or, uh, you know, that, or that Jimmy Fallon is in anything else? You know, I remember than, that Jimmy Fallon is in anything else. And Steve Carell, that's totally Woody Allen's fault. But listen, listen. What I'm saying is, is that this is Walt. Hi. <laughs> Woody, Woody Allen even repeats the same shot of them at the racetrack in that movie. Right. Well, <laughs> you, you get what I'm saying then, and I think that uh, Patricia Clarkson here, she's kind of the antithesis of it, and it it kind of offers you a nice little nugget uh, that these women, uh, Vicky and Christina. Um, I forget if it's just Vicky that's let in on Patricia Clarkson's secret that she has in the movie, but um, it kind of reflects what's going on with these two characters, whether or not they're going to be uh, satisfied living with a choice they made a long time ago or whether or not they can uh, you know, change their route that they're taking. Uh, but, you know, I think it's interesting that she's been cast in the next Woody Allen movie too, so it seems to be another actress he, he uh, kind of warmed up to. Um, let's talk about the, the style uh, of this film visually. Um, I felt like I saw a lot of things from Woody Allen here that, I really haven't seen before, um, even if it was just little things. And obviously some of that comes from working with a new cinematographer. He worked with uh, a guy named Javier. I, how do you pronounce this guy? Is it Aguirre Sarobe or something like that? Yeah, something yeah. like that. He's, uh, he's, he's, from what I can tell, he's extremely prolific in Spain. He seems to be the guy that shoots every movie that's made in Spain. Um, so, you know, there, I, he obviously gets, first off, he gets a new setting uh, to film here in Spain. It's obviously very different visually than when you're shooting in Manhattan. Um, 
But you know, I, I like some of the things he does, and and one of the one of the things that stood out to me immediately was the the scene when when Javier Bardem and and Rebecca Hall are are sort of out late one night together, and it's it's when they it's when they sort of are about to uh, finally hook up in the in the park there, and there's there's some uh, some sort of uh, these neat little fades that they do in between their faces, and it, you know their their faces are close to each other, and rather than get them in a in a wide shot or cutting hard between the two close-ups we get these little nice fades back and forth between their faces which i felt like really suited the moment and you know that's that's just a nice little visual touch that uh it shows that shows me that woody allen is still interested in in doing things different he's, he's not just uh he's not just setting up and you know churning out another formula type production he's he's really putting a lot of effort and care into every shot that he plans and and every sequence and that's really reassuring to me to see a guy of, of Alan's age, you know, still working that hard. <laughs> nice. I saw I was looking at your face. <laughs> I was looking at your face because you're beautiful. I have the soundtrack. Thanks. That's the coolest scene in the movie. I think the tension just reaches a fever pitch. He has conquered her in that scene. You know, she was the one that was just totally against it, and he totally turns her around. He, you know, does everything he has to do, showing her around the town. When she meets his father and learns that he's a human being, that's the turning point. And then he takes her to this badass private guitar you know, Spanish classical guitar concert and, you know, just Woody Allen just turns it up with the lighting there, the music, everything, the sound. I mean, just goes for it. That's, that might be the sexiest scene that Woody Allen's ever uh, created. Well, Matt, I think that um, Woody Allen, the cinematographer and the editor and the actors, uh, that's them hitting on all cylinders during that scene, really. That's them coming together technically and just really delivering and, you know, deliver. Uh, you're getting your money's worth with all those people. And like Graham said, I think it's the best scene in the entire movie. Uh, you know, with this this cinematographer, I mean, this guy's got a track record. Like you mentioned, he shot Pedro Almodovar's movie Talk to Her, and he shot The Others, and uh, he's shooting The the Road that's coming out this fall. And th- this camera in this movie seems to move around a lot more this time you know, than you've seen in Woody Allen's movies. It kind of floats with the characters as they sort of explore Barcelona. And uh, Woody seemed to experiment a pretty good deal with tracking and steady cam shots, you know, and some handheld. And at times, the camera became its own character. And I'll refer to another scene uh, when Juan Antonio's neck hurts at their picnic. Uh, one shot, the camera in one shot, the camera follows Christina to uh, their car and back to uh, Mary Elena, giving him a massage. It's a great and it shot. Just, yeah, yeah, it made for a really uh, terrific payoff there. And here. I, I really do think they lay into Spain, not unlike how Woody's kind of explored New York and Manhattan in a movie like Hannah and Her Sisters, too. So, uh, really, yeah, technically, this is one of Woody Allen's strongest efforts in a long time. So good to see that. You know, we talk about a lot uh, just just this kind of general malaise that seems to, to set in for uh, uh, for so many great filmmakers. They just can't seem to keep up the pace forever. Uh, and that's what makes Woody Allen special is he just – he just hasn't let up, you know. He's he's been going for three, you know, maybe maybe even four decades now as a as a filmmaker, uh, and he just he just keeps p- 
pushing forward. He he you know he he doesn't he doesn't let up on the on the creative gas. Um, well, you know, Matt, too, also with Woody, you, you know, back in the 70s and 80s and uh, early 90s, he kind of had three cinematographers that he was fixed uh, upon. I guess into the mid to late 90s, too. He had Gordon Willis, Carla De Palma, and Sven Nightfist for a couple of movies. And uh, now it seems with every movie, he almost has a new cinematographer every single time around, and he's experimenting with all these extremely talented cinematographers, some that we know very well and some that we don't know at all. Uh, probably, you know, for instance, like this cinematographer that we might not, whose work we might not have been familiar with at first glance. Uh, but even in his next movie, that uh, Woody Allen's tapped Harris Savitas to shoot this Whatever Works movie. And it's just really fantastic to see Woody, like you say, uh, trying new things and um, collaborating with the best out there. It's just, it's kind of like a, uh, you know, fantasy lineup you know what i mean where you can take your favorite director and put them together with uh you know a special cinematographer out there so it's very interesting i didn't even know that until you until you just mentioned so he's so he's got the guy he's got basically the guy that gus van sant did all his experimental stuff with uh will be the cinematographer on alan's next film whatever works that's right pretty cool stuff Uh, well how do you guys how do you guys uh rank this with Cassandra's Dream and Match Point. I think, uh, to me, I enjoyed this movie more than I did Cassandra's Dream. Um, even though I think Cassandra's Dream is a great film, and I think it's it's some of Alan's best writing in a long time. Um, but you know, to me, to me, Woody Allen uh, is always best. I always appreciate Alan's insights the most when he's talking about. Um, love and relationships. And I do like his, I do like his views on some of the darker stuff. I like to, to see him explore, you know, death and murder and, uh, sort of the human conscience. But uh, to me, I, I always seem, I, I feel like I get more out of the film when I'm, when I'm hearing, when I'm, when I'm watching Alan explore relationships. Cause I feel like that's what he, that's what he built his, his career on as a filmmaker and as a writer. And I feel like that's really his natural territory. And that's why I love to see him go back to that with this film because, you know, we, we get such a, a diverse look at it. We, it's basically two different films about relationships. We get to watch him uh, explore, you know, Rebecca Hall's sort of worrying about will she have regrets when she's older and the sort of more conservative style of, of relationships. And then we get to watch him what I think is sort of mocking uh, that Scarlett Johansson characters uh you know insistence on sort of that there are no boundaries to relationships and that you can basically define it as you go along and you know i i think it's i think it's really that that's what i like to see in an alan movie the most so i i i would put this above uh cassandra's dream you know i don't know if it's as good filmmaking wise as as match point but i I feel like I enjoyed the writing more. Uh, this would rank third uh, for me out of those. And, you know, not to take too much away from the movie, it's just I, maybe I just like the content of those movies and just the environments. I don't know. Uh, just in terms of the story, uh, the stories to me are stronger. And, you know, referring to Cassandra's dream, I don't know. I, I just think that Woody Allen kind of takes the viewer and just really throws him as hard as he can into that situation in this kind of uh, horrible situations uh that ewan mcgregor and colin farrell's characters are in and where there is no escape and um that movie really moves about 200 miles per hour uh, you know each time i watch it and the dialogue you talk about great dialogue written these days by woody allen that movie's got incredible dialogue 
and uh, terrific performances too. So I do prefer Ed over Vicky Cristina Barcelona. You know, although I've seen that movie more than I have seen this one, which is only one time. And um, but you know, <clears throat> like I said, I don't want, I don't want to take anything away from Vicky Cristina Barcelona because I think it's a strong Woody Allen movie. It's it's really hard to rank them, and and I think what that says to me more than anything is it's. I think Allen is in another peak in his career right now. I think we're in the midst of an Allen peak again, just like we saw uh, in the in the mid and late '80s. And you know, I think he went through. Uh, maybe maybe some people would argue he was he was struggling to sort of find his his game again for a little while in the '90s, and then maybe in the first part of this decade. But I think I think Allen is creatively peaking once again, just like he has several times in his career, and he's he's. I mean, his, the stuff he's making right now is right up there with the best stuff he's, you know, he's done, I think. And I, I think that's that's really exciting to see. What about you, Graham? What do you rank it? Um, <clears throat> Right now, honestly, I mean, I think I think I want to say that uh, that Cassandra's Dream is first, but that Vicky Cristina Barcelona... Uh, and match point might be fighting it out for a second, but I think the match point is probably just going to edge it out. But I, I really, really, really enjoyed. Uh, uh, a lot of that has to do with the visual style of match point and the way that uh, and Jonathan Reese Myers' performance is ridiculous and just the mizon general mizon sin. But that is, I don't mean that to say that there's anything wrong with the mizon sin of uh, Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Um. But yes, I you know Cassandra's Dream to me is the strongest. It's the number one movie of the year in my opinion uh, of this year. Well, Matt, me- what I think is kind of cool, real quick, uh, about Cassandra's Dream is that movie doesn't the the plot doesn't even really go into motion. Like you know the 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 proposition for the guys to murder Martin Burns uh, doesn't even happen until like thirty thirty five minutes into the movie. But the stakes feel like they're high, high really high the whole time before it even gets to that point. Well, it's because you see them digging themselves into their debts that they're going into, you know, like before before they are propositioned by Tom Wilkinson to do that. They have everything to lose, basically, and, you know, that's what makes it so strong. But, uh, Matt, let me ask both of you this. I mean, uh, <clears throat> as the case is with most Woody Allen movies uh, in the Academy, he's usually only gar- guaranteed uh, one or two nominations if, if, uh, the movies are released at the right time, and unfortunately, I, I, I'm not sure that this movie is going to make the cut due to its uh, still early release date for the Academy. But do you think that Penelope Cruz is guaranteed a supporting actress nomination? Yes, I think right now she is. Uh, you know, just from just from Buzz alone. I mean, everybody's everybody's talking about this performance, and she's so well liked. I mean, she's she's really somebody that I think Hollywood roots for. Um, you know, and and they, I think I think you feel like a lot of people were happy to see her nominated for Volver, and like some people like Graham felt like she should have won for that. But it's so hard to it's so hard to make this call uh, at the end of the summer, which is when we're recording this, because so many of these performances that are going to be nominated have yet to be released yet, and yet to be seen by anybody. So we can't even get the buzz going on anything yet. But I feel like, you know. If the nominations came out today, there'd be no question. It's it's the best supporting actress, not, you know, performance I've seen this year without question. But uh, you know, I think I think another another aspect of it, and and this is cutesy, but you know, the Academy gets cutesy sometimes. 
is that of course the the previous year's winner for best supporting actor always hands out the Oscar for best supporting actress the next year, and that would be Javier uh, that would be Bardem. great TV. Yeah, and yeah. and as a lot of people know, they I, I believe they are dating on top of that even. So it would it would definitely make for a big moment, and I I don't think that goes unconsidered when people are uh, making their votes and their nominations. That's yeah. I mean that people love just the if they can get a story up there, have some kind of a story. So that's that's a good point, uh, it, and it's up to the Weinstein's because this is their flick. So Harvey owes it to Woody Allen for for flushing Cassandra's dream down the toilet to really go at get a good Oscar campaign going for this movie, even though some of us might feel like Cassandra's dream is the more deserving picture. Um, he owes it to. Him. And I think it's really cool that uh, this movie is sad. I'm looking at box office mojo. It is sad at 692 screens. For both of its weeks, uh, weeks that it's been in release, and it made three point seven million the first week and three million even wow, the second wow. week. That's not bad. That's dropping, not bad. dropping only twenty percent, and it's in, and sitting at just under seven hundred screens. Wow, pretty so pretty it's impressive. doing really well. Okay, guys. Well, uh, I think we'll probably go ahead and wrap this up. But um, I want to thank both of you guys for joining me for this podcast. It's been been an excellent discussion, and hopefully. Um, uh, I think we'll probably do an Oscar-related podcast when the time comes. Hopefully, we'll be mentioning this movie at least once, hopefully more. Hey, didn't you think that Graham sounded more like Jack Black and Nacho Libre than Javier Bardem when he did that impression? <laughs> that was that was my goal. That was my intention. I want a ween! Yeah. <laughs> Would you like to come to my room for some toast? <laughs> <laughs> 